Welcome to the Young Stroke Survivor Podcast. This is a podcast series for young stroke survivors and their life and care partners who will be sharing their stories, successes, and challenges along their stroke recovery journey. Information and advice given in this podcast is general in nature and is not intended to replace the advice of your doctor. Any questions or concerns should be addressed with your healthcare team. This series is presented by Stroke Recovery Association of BC in affiliation with March of Dimes Canada and is funded by Disability Alliance BC. So, hello, beautiful people, and a very warm welcome to the Young Stroke Survivor podcast. We are so fortunate today to have a really special guest with us, Christy Campbell. Christy, welcome, and thank you for making time to talk with us today. You're welcome for having, having me. <laughs> um, so many people in the stroke recovery community here in BC already know you and are familiar with your story and may have even benefited from some of the advocacy work that you have done. So if it's okay, I would like to read a little introduction with a little bit of your background, and then we'll get to some of the questions. Sure. Um, so Christy is a scientist by training. She has multiple undergraduate degrees and completed her master's degree in master of science degree in biology. She was working for Environment Canada at the time of her stroke, which was in 2005. So fast forward through a, a lot of intensive therapy and rehabilitation, which I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit about. Um, but today, Christy is a strong advocate for other stroke survivors, especially people with aphasia and um, lives here in the Lower Mainland with her partner and um, they have four children. And to give our listeners an idea of your many contributions, since we probably won't have time to talk about all of this today, but um, so Christy has volunteered on a number of advisory committees, including board of directors for the After Stroke BC program, She's been a peer mentor for other stroke survivors. Christy also helped advocate to increase by over 50% the number of spots to train students in the speech and language therapy program at UBC. And maybe the two reasons most people might know you for is that Christy was a 2016 recipient of the Courage to Come Back Award. This annual award is presented by the Coast Mental Health Foundation to recognize and celebrate people who have overcome great adversity and gone on to give back to their community. And the other reason that many people may know you, Christy, is that one of the ways you did give back to your community is that you helped to create the Sea to Sky Aphasia Camp, which is an annual event for people with aphasia and their families, as well as healthcare professionals and students. And it's a chance to come together, to connect, to learn from each other, to advance knowledge about aphasia. Um, and that all happens while enjoying social and recreational activities in a beautiful rural setting. Um, of course, is where you and I met. And, um, and I know that since it started in 2010, it's become the highlight of the year for many of the people who attend that. So that's a very impressive list of accomplishments for anybody, never mind doing all that after having a stroke and while coping with all of the changes the stroke brought into your life. So we're very grateful to have you here today, Christy, and I know our listeners will appreciate hearing from you. So maybe a good place 
to start is with your stroke story. So would you be able to describe in your own words, whatever you'd like to share about your stroke and those early days of recovery? Uh, sure. Um, so I had my stroke in 2005. Uh, I was at a conference for work. I went to the ladies room and when I was finished, I couldn't do up my uh, belt. And then when I, after I was washing my hands, I missed the garbage can with my paper towel. Um, I exited the bathroom and I sat down and I tried to call out to a friend and my speech was gone. So those symptoms lasted for half an hour. Then uh, I went to my family doctor and she told me to go home and wait for a call from the hospital. Uh, the hospital did not call me. So a friend drove me to the hospital for a CAT scan. Uh, the results of that was they were normal. My brain was normal, but they didn't check my neck and my carotid arteries, both of them were torn. Um, so they told me that I was having a migraine. They gave me heavy sedatives. Um, and that night I had my massive stroke. So you had very concerning symptoms that do you think maybe because you're a woman and your age, they didn't investigate further for what might be happening besides a migraine? They definitely did not. The doctor didn't even do. He just came to the room with no investigation. He didn't do they didn't even check my blood pressure or anything. They just said, you're having a migraine, take these sedatives. So, yeah. And so then the medical event you were having progressed and you, after going home, you had a major stroke that night. Yes, so my husband tried to wake me uh, around noon the next day and he noticed the signs of stroke pretty apparent so he called 911. And so just for people listening to it's always a good opportunity for education and a reminder what were the signs of stroke that you were experiencing Christine? Uh, my of course my speech was slurred if I was I, I can't really remember them because I was having a stroke, but according to my husband, um, my speech was gone. My right side was not working very well. Uh, my face was drooping. So he knew right away. He recognized those as signs of a stroke. Yeah. And so then, and just must have been so shocking because you're a young healthy woman very active fit the last thing you would think would happen 
Yeah, actually, I I thought because the symptoms were around for around 10 days before my mini stroke. So I thought I had a ear infection. Um, so I went to the doctor for that. Um, and of course, antibiotics didn't help <laughs> because I was, I, I was just hearing whooshing um, in and around my both ears. Um, and now I know that that was just the blood pooling in and around my ear. Oh my goodness. And so once you got to the hospital, what happened then? Uh, that I don't remember. Um, in my brain, it was, I remember the ambulance ride from our condo to the hospital. And then in my mind, it was a quick turnaround to VGH to do the surgery that they needed to perform. Um, but according to my husband, it, I was at the hospital for about nine hours. Um, so the doctors were asking Sean, my husband, um, all about what I did prior to my stroke, any skiing, car accidents, um, anything. And then they asked about chiropractors and uh, Sean said yes. So that was part of the um, like investigation to try to determine what might have led to the stroke. Yes. So then they did another CAT scan angiogram with the dye and did my neck too. And then they realized that that was the problem. Both of my carotid arteries, the linings were torn. And so Christy, how long did you have to stay in the hospital for that kind of intensive care support? Um, I was at VGH for about two weeks and then I was transferred to GF Strong for another seven weeks. So, but by the time, like, when I woke up in the hospital, uh, I was paralyzed on the right side of my body and I had one word. And by the time I left GF Strong, I was working slowly, but walking. Um, but my speech was still not, well, I just had one word. So, and it was, was frustrating because I had words and I thought, oh, that's, I can now say the funny thing was Chihuahua. I could say Chihuahua, but then the next day I couldn't say Chihuahua anymore. You know, it, they come, they come and go. And, but the only word that was consistent for me was yes. Oh, wow. That's an amazing 
word to have left in your vocabulary. <laughs> yes. I, I think I remember reading in one of the interviews, Sean, your husband said the fact that that's the word you had left was very sort of symbolic of your attitude and outlook on life. Yeah, I, I try to be positive. Um, I have bad days. Everybody has bad days. Um, but yeah, it was, I tried very hard to start every day like it's a new day. You know, there's, I can't change what happened yesterday. I just need to focus on today and with any, you know, with effort and the str good strategies or the right strategies, I could do different things from yesterday. So it's that, that's my mindset. And it, it, it is still my mindset. I, I, I struggle sometimes with it. <laughs> that, that's my, I try to be positive. Mm. And is um, so your initial when you were finished at GF Strong, you were regained. So you had some um, paralysis on one side was part of the injury from the stroke. Yes, I was in a wheelchair and I couldn't move from my shoulder down my whole right side of my body. Um, and of course, one word. And that's what I was going to come back to was to say the aphasia, the, the difficulties with speaking were, sounds very frustrating and challenging. Um, yeah, so when we left GF Strong, uh, the doctors told Sean and my mom and dad, that in six months that's going to be so any progress up to the six month time frame that is going to be that that'll be it so sean was really focused on that time frame like from my stroke to six months I need to do anything I could to make progress. And at six months, as I mentioned, I was walking and stuff, but my speech was like, maybe I had 10 words at six months. Oh my goodness. The, that, the week after the six months timer was done I uh, I did a lot of crying <laughs> and just thinking well if this is it I don't really know what to do right. or how to do it it's so you the message you were given was any improvement would happen in the first six months yep and after that that's it you won't get any better Yep. Wow. And so at the six month point, you had regained more mobility, 
but your speech was still very, very limited, like maybe yes. words. Yeah. So that was a pretty dark week, I imagine. The thinking, wondering what is life going to be like now if this is as good as it gets. Yeah. And I I I was always able to read. So every stroke survivor has a different story. And all everybody with aphasia has different symptoms. So for me, I can always could always read, but writing and speaking were the main things. Sometimes I know that people could write. So if you can write what you're thinking or wanting, then you can write that down and people could give you what you want. But for me, because it was both my speech and my writing, I, I felt trapped and very, very isolated by the whole situation. Yeah, that would be incredibly isolating to not be able to express yourself, even in writing that was gone too, right? And so Christy, um, clearly you have more than 10 words in your (laughs) vocabulary now. Can you say say a little bit about that message you got that at six, you know, six months is the deadline and you won't get better after that? Clearly that's not what happened for you. Yeah, and and I believe, I hope, that now doctors are not telling patients and their caregivers that and giving that message to them anymore. That's my belief now that they're not doing that. Um, Yeah, and we... My husband and I just thought, okay, I, I, I can't, I can't believe that this is the end of the road for my recovery. It didn't really make sense to me. Um, And I know that everybody could grow and change. And I, I just, I couldn't believe that that was the end. So we found a aphasia, intensive aphasia program in Halifax. And this was about two years post-stroke for me. Um, And uh, it was six weeks, five hours a day speech therapy. And that's what we did. And it really, really helped my, not only my rate of speech improved, but my self-confidence really improved too. And that program, so you did that two years post-stroke. Yep. So for anybody listening, (laughs) be discouraged thinking there's no more room for improvement. You experienced a big benefit from participating in that two years after your stroke yeah 
And don't get me wrong, I have good days and bad days that, you know, like, like everybody else in the whole world, but it really, really helped me. Um, and now they have one here in BC. So that's great. It's called iTalk. So, uh, yeah. Maybe we can provide links for the program. So you went to Halifax because there wasn't anything like that here at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That was the only one in Canada at the time. Or or there's, I think, a handful of them in the States. But yeah, now we have one here. So it's great. And Christy, um, was aphasia camp also something you participated in somewhere else because there wasn't anything here? Yes. So... Uh, one of the professors from the, the, the program in Halifax was called Interact. So from that program, we befriended a professor there from Wisconsin, and he invited myself and my husband to go down to their aphasia camp. Um, so we did that. Uh, the first year we were just campers um, and then the second we were presenters um, and then we went to one in uh, Oregon and they challenged me to start a camp in BC. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you went to the Oregon aphasia camp how much, how many years into your recovery were you? Four and a half. So at four and a half years, the people there suggested you start an aphasia camp here in BC. Yep. So <laughs> the, the last day of the camp, uh, all the care, or the, all the people with aphasia, the professors, challenge set a challenge for the people with aphasia so for me they challenged me to start a camp in bc there was another lady who really wanted to try to do a zoom call with her grandkids so that was her challenges doing that so i don't know how i got stuck with that <laughs> huge challenge <laughs> but you know I, I you persevered and did it <laughs> what did you think when that invitation was given to you what was your initial response uh <laughs> i quickly called a professor that i knew from uh ubc <laughs> and uh said can we do this? Can we make this work? Um, we did just after we came back from Halifax. Um, I'm going to back up. There were th interact only accepts seven families um, to go and three of them 
were from BC. So we were talking about it, all the BC people, and we were just wondering why BC didn't have something similar. And we thought that UBC was the perfect school to do that because they they have all of the schools like speech and audiology, OT, physio, they have it all there. So we went and had a meeting with, at the time, the head of the speech and audiology group. And they turned us down. <laughs> oh, no. Um, then I went back after the aphasia camp from in Ottawa, not Ottawa, Oregon. So I said, can we do this instead of the six weeks? Just, just a weekend. And they said, yes, of course. So, and that, and the ball the, the ball was rolling. Then yes. Yeah. When you were on the hook to make this happen. <laughs> What a yep. what a massive project to um, undertake, and I imagine that was many months and years of working with different organizations to see it come into being. Yeah, the the first year was uh, my friends and family really helped, <laughs> and and of course the speech group at UBC really stepped up to help too but the first year was just a hope and a prayer (laughs) but then after that it uh, the ball was rolling and yeah well it's wonderful to hear a little bit of the backstory and I'm just thinking there may be people listening who have been to the aphasia camp and you know didn't know some of the background of how that camp came into being so thank you for talking about that I also, I think I read somewhere um, the person or one of the people who nominated you for the Courage to Come Back Award was that Wisconsin professor. Yes. And I read, yeah, one of the documents, I guess, supporting your nomination where he said he couldn't think of another person more um, like deserving of the recognition and, and a better example of somebody living with aphasia and dealing with you know loss and rebuilding your life learning or what, what, what's the quote um living well with aphasia that was the quote of my i really like that quote beautiful well um let's see so um obviously there a lot has happened from your stroke was is it 16 years ago yeah. So um, when we met to talk about this podcast, um, we thought that maybe a good focus would be the topic dealing with loss and finding a purpose. And you've already touched, obviously, on, on those two topics. But um, I wonder if you might be able to 
um, say a little bit more about the specific losses that you faced because of having a stroke? Uh, yes. So not only, of course it was, you know, the loss of my speech and a loss of the right side of my body, you know, but it was also a loss of relationships, like friends just couldn't deal with what I, I don't know, myself after my stroke. Um, my loss of my career was I didn't know if I could go back to work or not. Uh, without my career, I didn't know what I could do with finances. Um, and this new, I was in a very new relationship with my partner, now my husband. Um, so it, it was a very uh, straining time. For the first year, I just couldn't even deal with any of that because I was focused on getting better, especially for the first six months as the doctor says, you have that amount of that window to recover as best you can. Yeah, it was, it was a tough time. Sounds like, especially not knowing what the future will hold, like you're working to recover, but you don't know how much you'll recover. And then that leaves things in the air of, Will you be able to go back to work? What in what capacity? How is this changing your friendships? And with so many things being unknown, that must be very difficult. Yeah, and then of course we I was in the middle of a lawsuit too. So that was also very time consuming and um, a lot of mind power that I really couldn't use up. <laughs> I, I was dealing with doing three sets of all the testing um, and still doing my physio and my speech therapy. And so it, it, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. So you want to focus all your energy on your recovery, but you also had this lawsuit going on. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm aware too, there may be people listening who share some part of that experience and that their stroke may have happened subsequent to, you know, a medical error or malpractice. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you have any 
words to share with somebody who might be listening and is, is dealing with that right now? Just be persistent. Um, just, it just takes determination and being persistent and just never give up. Um, yeah, it, it was five years of my life. So that, that's the only words of encouragement. <laughs> I, and of course, everybody's situation, as I mentioned, is completely their own. So I, my story is my story. Yeah. And so how long ago, what has it been since the case was finished and you could get on with your life? Uh, well, it ended in 2010. Okay. So that must have been a wonderful day just to have that weight off your shoulders. That chapter. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was just like a big weight off my shoulders in my mind. It was okay. Now I can move forward and I'll start something new. And um, yeah, I also was just thinking you have such a perspective to offer and share with people because you are, you know, 16 years into your recovery. And I know there are people listening who are in the position you were of finding out they may not be able to return to careers and jobs that they love. And I wonder, yeah, what it was like for you in those early days of coming to terms with that loss for the career you trained so hard for and were passionate about. Uh, well, again, this is just my mindset, I think. Um, there's three things that you could do, complain about it, and, or stay in it, or try to change it. Um, so either way, you're in it. You know, you can't go back and, you know, so you're, you're in it. So positivity takes work and um but it's worth doing so and and with effort and the, a, a good strategy you can do anything so i couldn't go back to work so i and that that was hard on me I'm, I'm not gonna lie it was challenging and it still is a challenge because I have a master's degree and I'm not using it um, but 
because of my aphasia, I, it just couldn't, it couldn't work. Um, and although my speech, I think is fine, fine, better now, I still, I still can't write. It takes me, I don't know, five minutes to do a text. Um, and even when I dictate, Siri makes mistakes. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, so it, I, I just couldn't, couldn't go back. Um, so I tried something new and got pregnant. <laughs> And started a family, but um, yeah. So just you can always learn a new skill um, and find what makes you happy and and do it. Great advice, Christy. I love what you said that positivity takes work and it's worth doing it reminds me of something i've heard i don't know if it's you and or sean say if you don't like the scenery move the train forward mm. that's sean <laughs> yeah it, it yeah it, it's just you can you can always not change your your situation, but you can change your perspective on it, I think. Very wise words. And we're, we're going to do a separate podcast with you about raising a family. So we, we are going to come back to that. Um, I, I oh, wanna... that's, that's difficult. <laughs> I'm sure there must have been a lot, a lot to share about that process of starting a family after having a stroke. Well, at the time, my stepsons were five and three when I had my stroke. So the younger one was just learning to talk. And then I had my stroke and he didn't even, both of them actually, they didn't know how to deal with me because here's this lady who's in a, now in, in a wheelchair who can't talk. It, it, I'm sure it was terrifying for them. And I think they just froze. So there's a lot of years of they just didn't know how to deal with me. And I'm not, I'm not blaming them. <laughs> you know, they, they're kids. Yeah, it would have been very difficult for them to understand the nature of what you had experienced and so you were co-parent helping co-parent 
a three and a five-year-old at the time you had your stroke. Yeah. Yeah. So. And were they living with you? No. They just came for two dinners and every second week. Every second weekend. Um, But I think that at the time for me and for them, I think that was enough time together you know like but they not my husband he wanted of course more time with them but Mm -hmm. it was we were dealing with two kids and three animals in a tiny condo and I couldn't make any dinners and you know like it was just a I don't know how they we did it actually <laughs> for the first couple of years after my stroke. It was uh, difficult for sure. Mm-hmm. So much pressure. And Christy, so they would be now 19 and 22, 21, yeah. 22, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes off to uh, Europe this fall so oh exciting Mm -hmm. and so they're a part of your life and they now have uh, half siblings they do (laughs) yeah so and they do they at all about like looking back on how that what that was like for them and as they came to understand your your the stroke uh the younger one definitely does he asks lots of questions well that well he's not the 18 or 19 year old now is asking more questions um sean took him he does a uh sean my husband does a talk every year for caregivers uh, at UBC, the second year speech students for them. Um, and two years ago, he took the, his, at the time, 17-year-old son with him. Um, and uh, it, it is a, was an eye-opener for that in 19 or now 19 year old son now so uh, he he wants us to write a book <laughs> about our situation but yeah it's uh yeah it's he comes every week for dinner and uh at least once a month he asks questions you know like he he thinks about questions for us and then he asks them and we try to answer them the best we could or so yeah it's that i don't know the the discussion is coming around I don't know if he's comfortable yet, or maybe he doesn't remember 
he was just three at the time. So maybe he doesn't remember, but I don't know if he's, I don't think he's telling us how he felt after my stroke and but maybe he just doesn't remember. Mm. Well, the, the opportunity now just to, it sounds like you and Sean are very open and the opportunity just to have conversations about it now would be very helpful and meaningful. And yeah. that's a very exciting prospect of maybe writing a book. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> maybe when our daughter is in kindergarten, we'll think about that. But. Um, well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to talking even more about raising a family in the other podcast we're going to have the opportunity yeah. to do with you. And so I was wondering, maybe we could shift our focus now from the topic of dealing with loss to the other um, topic we had talked about, which was finding purpose after stroke. And so I was wondering what was your journey like related to finding new direction and purpose in your life? Um, so when I realized that I couldn't go back to work. Um, and Sean really wanted me to not sit at home watching General Hospital every day. Um, I really needed to find something useful for me and to contribute to society and um, to help other people with aphasia. So we, well, I started to volunteer at local organizations um, and, you know, starting the aphasia camp was prime example of what I channeled my mind to. Um, and I needed to really switch my mindset from I can't do my job anymore to I need to learn a new skill and think about things I could do. Um, yeah, so. so that says a lot about your positive outlook you talked about earlier and the focus yeah switching from what I can't do anymore to what I can do what yeah. is available to me yeah so is that kind of helped guide you help you move forward yeah and you know again 
It's not, you know, it, it, it's hard <laughs> sometimes to make that switch. Um, but I totally believe that I can either stay put and do nothing or try to do something new. Maybe it's scary, but with time and effort, I totally believe that people can do anything. And I, it, it was scary uh, starting a family and starting the aphasia camp. And, you know, it, it was a challenge and it was scary, but I can't, couldn't let my fear win. That's not my style. <laughs> Christy, would you say that is your outlook from even before you had a stroke of how you approach life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's, as I mentioned, everybody's stroke story is different. Um, but, you know, I started small, little wins in the hospital, like standing up. And, you know, there's a, there's a good quote. Uh, I fall down seven times, but I get up one more, you know, like it's, I fell a lot, but I continued to stand up again. And I think that's that's just my mindset. But Thank you for talking about that. I think that's, I hope hearing those words from you, from somebody who knows firsthand how hard it is to do that in the face of such an overwhelming injury that that will mean a lot for people to hear that. Yeah. Just, oh, just little steps. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I did a course about chronic pain um, and there's one page in there that it was kind of a, a goal for the week. And you write down your goal and what day that you're like, and I think you need to do it three times uh, during the week. Um, 
And then at the bottom of the page, it is how you did. And if you couldn't do it, what, what's your suggestion for next time? Um, and I really, it was very helpful for me to break that down by week. So, you know, I started with, I need to get outside, like, at least three times a week. And, you know, when I was in the wheelchair, and I couldn't talk, I will gesture or, you know, say, oh, I didn't say, but, you know, su suggest or ask a nurse to take me out of the hospital, even if it's two minutes outside. And then, you know, it's, it, that was very helpful for me at that time. And I'm still using it um, in my mind, not on paper anymore, but um, just saying, you know, I did well in this aspect, but I need to do a little bit better in this. And how am I going to get there? I think it's the, the key. It sounds like learning some tools or yeah, having some tools and learning how to break things down into small steps or little goals yeah. has helped you stay on track towards. Yes. The big, the big prize. Yes. But, yeah. And I also, I didn't want to just buy, run by this too quickly. So you mentioned that you did a course on chronic pain. So is that also one of the um, effects of your stroke is that you have to deal with chronic pain? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is my right arm. It's just in chronic pain. Um, so I'm on medication for that, but I do do meditation sometimes if it's very painful. Um, supplements, you know, it's depending on the day. I really feel like in the summer, my chronic pain is less. But in the winter, in the rainy, rainy season, <laughs> um, it, it's pretty bad. Is the, um, Christy, is the course something that is still run that we can provide a link to or that you would recommend? Or are there other tips or tools for people who might be dealing with chronic pain that you would suggest? Uh, yeah, it is actually a, it's from the BC government and I 
think it is still running. I don't know about COVID, um, but I will find it and send it to you. That would be great because it, so, yeah, it sounds like something that you benefited from and maybe other people who haven't gotten maybe as much help as they need with chronic pain could investigate that to see if it might be useful for them. Yeah. So, Christy, it's been really wonderful to get to speak with you today. Thank you so much for making time to do this. Um, I know that there are quite a few interviews you've done over the years and articles written about you, and maybe we can provide links to some of those in case people want to hear more from you or learn more about your journey. Um, and as I mentioned, we're going to be meeting with you again to talk about raising a family. Um, and I guess I would just, yeah, like to give you the last word, Chrissy, if there's anything else you'd like to share with people who are listening and maybe in earlier stages of their recovery that you've been through and are looking back with some perspective on. Yeah, it's... There's three, three things I really want to focus on, and it is stay positive, be persistent, and you can always try again tomorrow. <laughs>